Those big wireless companies try to lure you in with a new phone just to lock you into a contract. Not Simple Mobile. If you have a great smartphone you love, you can get a powerful nationwide 5G network without the contract. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone's compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Message and data rates may apply. Visit simplemobile.com slash privacy policy for privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. Compatible 5G capable device and SIM required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. 5G upload speeds not yet available. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our bloomin' fried shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. Prayers, politics, and protests tonight in Orlando. Good evening, I'm Stephen Howe. And I'm Sonny Abada. Massive crowds near the Orange County Convention Center angry that Donald Trump was preaching to pastors, but inside, nothing but love. So much. Governor Rick Scott back in Orlando congratulating us all for bringing in more jobs. Fox 35's Jackie Orozco reports now on the new opportunities. On the Health Watch, a warning for dog lovers. A new study out of England shows that male dogs are becoming less fertile, and researchers fear this could happen to humans. Next. Let's talk with Dr. Joe from the Fox Medical team about this. Uh, Dr. Joe, should we be concerned that scientists who are studying this, of course, this is in animals right now, in dogs, that there is a trend that humans could also be impacted as well? Okay, you just heard Sonny Abada, a former news anchor, news professional, who has moved into uh, digital content creation and uh, has a new podcast coming out called We Gotta Talk, really big fan of it, and I wanted to get an idea of what it was like from a news professional, what are the behind the scenes of being in the news profession? What are the stories, the sources, how does the news get to us? Of course, now our news gets to us in many, many different ways and different platforms. It's a dizzying array of information and news on a 24-hour cycle. But I wanted to get the take from a professional and where things have gone with news and journalism from when she was doing it to where it is now in our digital age. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Sunny Abada. We're all set. We're set now with Sunny. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good. I've been looking forward to this. I enjoyed our conversation we had offline a while ago. 
Yeah, well, it's great to get to know you. And I love, um, you know, you do real deep dives into your guests. And I'm just really excited for this conversation because um, I know this is like an art for you. Your podcast is pretty, it's, it's amazing. And I'm like, I remember talking about your schedule and you're like, no, I've got, I've got a whole system down. So I'm really excited to be on, truly. Oh my gosh. I'm all like, I'm all about the system for my podcast, but it's also, it is art and it's, uh, I've been releasing like playlists that I've put together. I got a couple like little plays, kind of avant-garde stuff. It's just, it's all expression to me. You know? Yeah, it's awesome. It's a way to connect with people, which is beautiful. So I respect that. Awesome. Well, I, I know that I connected with you through Kitcaster, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're on there. And tell me a little bit about your background. I think I found it interesting and I wanted to kind of learn about your origins and what you started out doing professionally and just move it on from there, you know? Yeah. So my um, background is in television journalism and I worked in that field for 15 years before leaving. Oh my gosh, I have to do the math here. I guess it'll be four years that I've been out of the business officially. Um, I've been in the digital Mm -hmm. creation space for the past four years, but yeah, I spent 15 years in um, TV broadcasting. I actually started while I was still in college um, with a a part-time job with the Fox sports affiliate in Pittsburgh, because that's where I'm from. And it all started because I I was always interested. I mean, writing has always been my way of my, my preferred form of expression. And, um, I was trying to find a way to make that a career in college. I went to Carnegie Mellon university in Pittsburgh and, um, someone said, listen, I know this production company and they're looking, they're doing a show for the local Fox sports affiliate. And it's all about high school sports and you know, who the the star athlete of the week is. And they just need someone on camera. So I had a little bit of a background in, in performance and drama too. And they said, with your writing and with that, you should just like, you know, talk to this, talk to this guy, see if they need anyone on camera. So I ended up working with this production company and took my first official job in TV doing that. And gosh, it's sort of like a cascade of internships and other small jobs in TV that eventually led me to, um, to, to doing it full time after I graduated. But, um, that's the super condensed version, but yeah, I I did, (laughs) I did stints in Pittsburgh. I was, um, a news reporter and anchor in Pittsburgh for six years, right out of college at 21. I started at the CBS affiliate in Pittsburgh and really got the opportunity to learn the process of journalism and the art of storytelling with some amazing reporters at KDKA TV. Um, I just really cut my teeth there. And it was a time when like not a lot of young people were in TV. I know right now with social media, especially it's really common to see people be, um, in front of cameras or present in front of large, uh, you know, mm-hmm. audiences at a young age. But back then, I mean, I graduated in 2003, so it, this was pre social media and people were really weirded out by the fact that a 21 year old was like, you know, yeah. giving them their news. But I, I paid my dues by, um, by learning from some amazing people on the job, which is why I, I always say internships and jobs are the best teachers, not not college necessarily. And um, yeah, I just really, I just fell in love with the process of storytelling and all of the things you can convey um, with a well-written article or a well-told story on TV. And I continued in that. And I was on the morning shift in Pittsburgh and then I got a job in Orlando and I was the main anchor here at the Fox affiliate in Orlando. And I worked there for seven and a half years. And um, then 
I did it anymore because I quit. So um, that's a whole separate <laughs> story. But yeah, so that's my background. And that's sort of what ties into what I do today too. It's just the love of yeah. talking to people and connecting with people. Well, you know, okay, now we got to go backwards a little bit on this because okay. my mind was like exploding. <laughs> <laughs> One, what was that like? I think, you know, anybody listening to this, they're not, they're not, they haven't been like an, an anchor or a news reporter. And I think you watch these things and you go, oh, okay, like I'm getting the news. What was surprising about working in that environment that was like, man, I did not know this, that I was going to experience this? Yeah. Oh gosh. A couple of answers come to mind. Number one, the amount of work that goes into a relatively short piece. So you'll see a reporter who's out in the field and by the end of their day, they end up presenting anywhere from a minute and a half to like a two or mm -hmm. two and a half minute piece. Um, we call them a package, um, which is essentially just a short story. And they usually have a live shot in the beginning and end of that story. So you have maybe, maybe a total of three and a half to four minutes of time on TV, but the amount of work that goes into that is tremendous of, um, finding a story, calling the sources, getting your interviews, going in the back of a live truck and listening to tape. I mean, we were rolling around on, you know, crappy chairs in the back of live trucks, you know, you're not supposed to drive while you're editing. And, but like there were these massive, and they still are these massive trucks. And when you're trying to hit a deadline, I mean, you do what you have to do. So I was back there, this was pre avid and like pre digital. So we had tape to tape. So I'd be back there and, you know, I'm rewinding to like pick the perfect soundbite. And you're actually writing the story usually as your photographer who's also the editor is, you know, finding a great, a good spot for the live shot. So it is just a run and gun and go, go, go deadline driven industry. And I love what I learned from working on deadline and TV news. You had to do good work and you had to do good work fast and accurate work fast. So I just, accurate like, being the word. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many implications if you would screw up, but, um, but yeah, so I would say that is one of the things that might surprise people is, you know, you see people on TV, these, the reporters, especially, and you have no appreciation for how much they do to, to bring you a great story. So that's why I always say, um, I mean, journalism is at the heart of what I still do now, because if you're going to put something out into the world, it better be right and true or, uh, you know, valuable in some way, because, um, it's just, a, I don't know. It's just a real art. So, um, I would say that. And I mean, also just the nature of the stories that you cover too, you really, um, working in news, get to see a slice of, uh, humanity at its worst and its best. And, um, you just never knew what you were going to get that day, which is really exhilarating and also kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, it's just weird. Like you see something on the surface and you don't know what's actually happening behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, with news, it seems like that. But what's your take on journalism then versus now? I do think the digital sphere has completely changed the way that traditional journalists even view their work now for a long time. Uh, and I can only speak for TV, of course, but um, I know news directors wanted this separation between their on-air talent and any online presence they had. They were like, don't, you know, you can have social, mm. you can have Facebook, you can have Twitter and you can have this stuff. I mean, Instagram was not a thing when I first started and then it became a thing. And I think each management team 
at different stations had different levels of comfort when it came to how much of people's personal lives they were comfortable with their talent showing. Mm -hmm. So I know that I worked for a lot of news directors who were like, listen, you're on the younger side. Like, don't be stupid. Like you can have an Instagram account or you can have Facebook, but, um, you know, just, just keep it above board, keep it professional. Um, but now I look and see, there's a lot of TV journalists out there who are like in bikinis on their Instagram. And I'm like, wow, things have changed since I did it. But you know, everybody's got their own rhythm and formula and every news director will have a different approach too, because I know there are some that think, um, you know, share your personal life because that helps people to connect with you. I did not have that experience. So, you know, it was kind of, it, it was, it's totally different, but I do think that what, what social media has done is force, um, people in TV to just like sort of loosen the tie a little figuratively speaking, you know, and get comfortable, um, with showing some of their anchors and reporters as real people. And I do think that benefits the industry as a whole, because we connect with people when we see something that we relate to. So I think that goes with journalism too. Like, I said, though, the danger is um, blurring that professional line. So every everyone's got to, like, be their own sort of cop in that regard because <laughs> you can't, like, you can't get too crazy on social media if you want to, like, sit down and, you know, tell them a serious story on the newscast that night. So it's a balance for sure. Do you think that's been hard for people in journalism to dial that back or dial it forward, like, to know the right formula for that? Uh, yeah, I think people have struggled and I think we've seen the result of people making some really poor decisions about what to share on social media. What comes to mind, um, is stories of reporters on their way, for example, to a crime scene and taking a selfie. Like they're on their way to a scene where someone, what? oh my gosh, Jerry, it's insane. And, and listen, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, people like I, uh, I'm, you know, I don't want to be judgmental because I understand, especially having been in that position when you're on your way at 1030 PM to a, a say, I don't know, the scene of a shooting or something. And you know, your adrenaline is pumping, you know, you have to get there. And like, sometimes that to people can, it's, it's an exciting feeling, not what has happened, but the fact that you're playing a role in telling people like, okay, this is important. I got to get this out. I think sometimes what happens is the wires cross and sometimes people are like, okay, let me just show you what I'm doing. And they take a pictures, picture of themselves at work. And you, you, you just always have to bear in mind the topic that you're covering because it can come across as insensitive. That's just one example of where I've seen yeah. social media go wrong. Now, that being said, I've also seen people use it for, for great things and, you know, sharing GoFundMes on, you know, uh, to, to help families who are struggling or, you know, that's the other side of the coin, but you have to truly be, and this goes for people who are in content creation outside of the official world of journalism too. Like you got to be smart and you have to think long-term everything you put out will live on. So just don't be that guy. Right. I always say like, you got to think before you tweet and, and make sure, you know, that what you're putting out there you're okay with living forever. And, you know, that's just one way to gauge it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> that's, a, that's an idea for all humans. I mean, like, that's true. are you okay with what is going to be out there forever? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm of the mindset that I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. I agree. Honestly. I agree. And I think as, um, you know, more and more kids and these upcoming generations are raised around social media, they, that the filter drops even more, which is scary to me. Um, you know, what is fascinating to me is this whole concept 
as a parent of seeing parents share their child's every move in life. And, um, you know, as someone who blogs about motherhood sort of generally, I don't really ever, I don't get too specific on my kids. That's my choice. I respect that people do, but I do from a psychological perspective have to wonder 10, 20, 30 years down the line when we have been putting out stories about our kids and I'll put myself in this. I'm not saying I'm above this. Um, what consequences will there be for having told someone else's story for them? I would Mm. never want as an adult to look back and say, you know what? When I was two, my mom pegged me as the crazy one in my family or whatever. You know (laughs) what I mean? But there are power in words, right? Um, We hang on those words as as children. And what did you think when I was little? Like, what was I? And, And it would be to me, a really dangerous thing to get overly specific about my kids on social media right now, because I would worry that I would be taking away their ability to tell their own story to the world. It sounds corny, but these are the things that I think about, especially in like the motherhood blogging space, you know, where I am now, I do a lot of, I'm, I'm actually shifting my platform a bit, but I have written a lot about motherhood because it's a huge, huge event that I feel like changes us in tremendous ways. But anyway, I mean, all of this to say that social media is a very powerful tool. And I do think, like you said, there are implications far beyond what we know, even right now to expect. We just have to, do our best. It's a very powerful tool. These little devices in our hands or smartphones and just, you know, stay within your own comfort zones and share what you will. But I don't think it exists in a vacuum, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And even going back to like the news, I remember growing up where like the news wasn't on all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like now it seems like you can get up any time of the day, night, and the news will be playing Yeah, or some version of it. And I wonder, like, is that a good thing? Or is like, you know, I remember it was like the five o'clock news or something. Or I even remember, this was a long time ago. I mean, I'm not that old, 42. But I remember, I do remember a time when like, you know, you actually couldn't watch TV beyond a certain time, you know, like, it's like crazy that like is constant 24 hour news. I wondered, is that is that something that you think about as like, well, is this positive or negative or kind of indifferent that we have so much access to news and how does that affect us? I mean, I always think more information is better um, if you're getting objective information. So um, I always say, mm. you know, <laughs> you have to consider the source. They That's always, hard. It is. But here's a great rule of thumb. If you're watching a cable news station, anything after 7 p.m. is not news. It's opinion, right? It's opinion journalism. Ooh. So, I mean, that's, you know, not hard and fast, but in the evening hours, let's just say, right? So after you said like, you know, the 5 p.m. news, that's the traditional sort of time slot for the last, um, what should yeah. what should be objective newscast of the day when you get into prime time and you, when you get into these big earning shows the reason they do so well these personalities is because they have strong opinions but it's just that you have to remember that when you're consuming news you have to consider your source i mean i i do think people know right now they have their own um sort of understandings of what they get when they go to each cable station. Let's just keep this on the cable stations for now. So know what you're getting, know what you're getting into. And yes, more information is better, but just be aware of what type of information you're consuming because if you want to make up your own mind, maybe it's best to you know, go online and, and read an, an article. And what I like to do too is you know, if you really want to challenge your own viewpoint, which I do think we need to, I don't think any of us should ever get too comfortable thinking we're right because that's just 
disaster time. What I like to do too, is even go to, I'll go to the Washington post and I'll go to the Washington examiner knowing that, you know, each is known for one, one is known for a more liberal sort of stance and one is known for more conservative, or you can go to the wall street journal, which is the sort of more considered to be the more conservative counterpart to the New York times. Uh, You know, like balance it out for yourself, be a smart consumer of news because there's, there is so much, like you said, that, um, it would be silly to just rely on one place when we could read so many things. Now there are things that, you know, weather wise or whatever, you don't have to like get every angle of every story, but I do think, (laughs) you know, it's important to be a smart consumer when it comes to that, because like you said, there are so many outlets. It can feel like, it can feel like it just makes you crazy. Yeah. I wonder, like, it just popped in my mind, like, how does somebody who's been in news professionally consume news, actually? Like, I wonder, like, somebody who's an anchor on a news, like, presenting the news, how do they get news? Is it just through their job? Or, like, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can speak for the people that I've worked with and who, what I did personally. Like, when we got in, I anchored the 5, 6, and 10 p.m. news, so, so the primetime newscasts at our local affiliate. And I got in, I read as much as I could, and I did what I just told you. I would go to counterparts on, you know what's considered to be like kind of different sides of the same coin. Um, read as much as I could online. Uh, usually in every news station, there's an editorial meeting to kick off the the day and the day for us as an evening part of the evening team started at 2 PM. So you get in, you listen to the reporters pitch their stories and you talk about stories that you think might be worth covering and everybody shares their ideas. The reporters get assigned. You go back to your desk, you read through your scripts that the producers have been working on all day Um, and you just, I mean, you end up being informed about the local stuff because of your team of reporters, but anything else that's a bigger national issue. I think a lot of journalists are just doing what everybody does, which is going to all of the different outlets and trying to like take in a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's a different process for everyone, but that's what I would try to do. So I had an understanding of not only what's happening locally, but also like bigger picture stuff. Oh, that makes sense. I always think that when somebody does something for a profession, at least I wonder like, okay, how do they consume the thing that they're doing? Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't think we ask that enough with people. Like, how do they, how do they get that? Or are they social media? Are they getting their news from Twitter? Like, why do they I do sure this? I sure hope not. <laughs> I sure hope not. Unless it's like. I hope not but, too, man. You know, I will say this. Um, when you, some of the best stories do come from the people, right? Like the tips that we've gotten at our news mm-hmm. that we would get in our newsroom and that I'm sure they still get to this day. Um, it's always, you know, the nosy neighbor who smells, who finds the serial killer, right? <laughs> who finds the buried bodies, so to speak, like good journalism and good news comes from the people, right? Because there are people know what's happening in and around their neighborhoods and their spheres of the world. And we rely as journalists, we rely on those squeaky wheels to like reach out and say, Hey, this feels weird. Did you hear about this happening in this local school district? Or I heard this about a teacher, or I heard this about the mayor. It all the big bombshell stories start small, right? So that's why, that's why social media can be helpful because that's how people connect with you. I mean, that's how tips come in. So, I mean, there, there's absolutely a place for that too. Um, but you know, when I say don't get your news from Facebook, that means like, 
you know, consider the source because people share a bunch of weird stuff on social media. So you just, yeah, goes back to that, like being smart about, um, what you believe because there's just a lot of, what about the accuracy aspect of it? Like you mentioned accuracy and like my, just like, uh, light bulbs is like, Oh man, like has accuracy changed? Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like people put out stuff that's blatantly not true. And then it's like, okay. I know. Gosh, it's so weird you say this because I am doing, you know, so much reading as everybody is, as we're locked in, like more reading than normal. So at nighttime, I like have a certain set of like websites that I go to and just, you know, can I always do it at night because it's when the kids are asleep. But, and, you know, I come across, for example, um, this QAnon community that has sprung up and how you can understand how... I'm trying to find the perfect way to word this. Um, (laughs) You can understand both sides, right? When it comes to these theories that gain steam. And I'm using QAnon as an example because it's the most recent one. But when you say accuracy, now a a group of people who believes um, in some of the things that QAnon is putting out will have things to support facts, to support their beliefs, just like people on the other side who think it's crazy will have facts to support their beliefs. So it's, it's hard to say. I mean, like, I, I also don't think that just because things aren't being reported in the media that they're not true. Uh, I think bias is real, but, um, I, it is really hard. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really hard at the end of the day to say who's right and who's wrong, because as we know, there are always two sides to every story, conspiracy article. I mean, like they're, you know, I have a family friend who always says the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And I I do believe that with a lot of things that we, um, that are hot button topics these days and that people seem to pretend like they know everything about, usually it's the truth falls somewhere in between the extreme points. Right. So, um, I don't know if there's a way to measure accuracy anymore. I think accuracy as an objective term, like, unless you're talking about, of course, you know, like we said, science-based types of things like weather or whatever. Um, it's hard. I don't know that accuracy is like defined the same way now that it was back in the Walter Cronkite era. Mm. You know, there are so many ways, so many sources, so many people talking to you that you really, you really have to read everything out there and then make up your mind. You got to do your best and you're never going to read it all. So I'll put that caveat in there too. You're never going to know it all. So you, you, people end up finding yeah. their comfort, comfort spot and just sort of landing there. Well, when people, when you say sources, you know, I think people hear that term all the time, these sources, can you break that down a little bit? Like what that actually means and kind of the mechanism behind that? Well, I can speak to sort of like the local news angle of that. I mean, when you, when you hear someone say sources say, I'm trying to think of a great example of when that line would even appear. I mean, it might be like if a story on, you know, government scandal or something happening in a school district. I mean, usually those sources are people close to whatever is being reported. I mean, you know, people do have a right to privacy when they contact the media. We don't, you know, if they want it to be off the record, it has to be off the record. So um, I will say that when you hear that phrase, sources say, it, it tends to be someone usually very, very close to whatever story you're hearing. 
which reminds me, I just interviewed this guy from um, People Magazine. It's a, rep- a reporter named Steve Helling for my podcast. And he's in the entertainment side of things. But I asked him the same question. I was like, you know, you're reporting on all these celebrities, and blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> sources say, like, tell me more about that. He's like, Sonny, sources are almost always. So it's interesting that this is true in the entertainment world, too. But he said, the sources are almost always the people themselves or their manager or someone one degree from them. What? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I do tend to, like give weight to those types of things because uh, I don't know. I just, from what I've seen borne out at the local level, which is sort of like a micro level. Right. But I, I do think that there is something to people who are willing to step forward and share information. I don't think anyone is just going to come up and be like, and be able to, and of course we're not going to take anyone just at their word. You, you have to have some proof. These sources won't, wouldn't be, um, you know, just someone coming up and making some kind of crazy exaggerated claim. So I do think there's always like, you know, when you hear that, I, I usually think, at least based on my experience, that there's a degree of truth to what's being reported. Interesting. You know, and the angle of that, the person that the article is about, that they may have actually leaked it themselves, that they wanted that out there on some level. Yeah, that's what he said about, oh, it's such a fascinating interview. That's crazy. We were talking about the Kardashians when he mentioned that. And I, and, um, yeah. you know, he, he said, you know, it's a perfect example of, people taking command of the media in a really smart way. Now that's the celebrity world. Mm. I, I, I can't really say. Yeah. And I do think if you asked that it would actually be really interesting to have this conversation with like a straight up political reporter where people are whispering yes. all the time, like in local news, we kind of, it's kind of cut and dry, but like, Oh man, I would love to like get into like, hear the secrets of what's being whispered in Washington because now that's where some like serious juicy stuff happens. Well, think about this, uh, what the Atlantic, their recent yes. report about Trump and the whole thing. And so my mind works of like, I hear, I used to train somebody who used to work at the Atlantic. And I remember thinking like, what's going on here? Like the sources, like to put something this big out, there has to be some level of like going through really vetting this to make sure this isn't just some willy nilly thing. Like, These are serious claims. Yeah. And I mean, I also have to believe that a journalist wouldn't put their entire credibility or their entire decades of experience on the line for one thing, (laughs) because you know, you know, if if you get caught, you're going to flame out. So like, this isn't, Yeah, I, I will say this about every single journalist. I know they're quality people. I look at journalists the same way that I look at, I mean, there's, I don't want to like, make anybody angry here because I know there's not the same level of physical danger, but in some regard of a public servant, like a police officer or a firefighter, I mean, you, we, as, as a journalist, at least you should be just as those others should be operating by code of principles that keeps you honest. So when people like Mm. make these slanderous comments against the media or I'm like, dude, there, there are literally people, journalists whose lives are being threatened and have always been when they've been in war zones or dangerous areas. So journalists, journalism at its finest is, is a public service. So to look at that example, like you said, with Trump in the Atlantic, I would like to think that this is a, um, this journalist is a, is a person who's an upstanding person of, of, you know, a set of beliefs that sort of governs and, and moves his work. And I wouldn't think now, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't think that anybody would put that yeah. on the line for a saucy headline. Well, it's considered a really reputable, yes. I mean, publication. Yes. And I, I just wouldn't, 
I can't see somebody just throwing stuff out just to throw it out. I mean, I, it wouldn't seem to have a lot of integrity behind it. I agree. It. I totally agree. I, that's one of the sites that I go to. I subscribe to The Atlantic and I really like, I love a good, like, in-depth, well-researched. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's such a weird time to be in this field because, like, <laughs> you know, there's just so much hate coming out. But um, I yeah. agree. I would like to think that someone wouldn't put all that on the line. So you said you, obviously you got out of it and then you moved into a different space. I'd like to hear about that transition. Yeah. So I left, it'll be four years in October of this year, four years ago to, um, for a, a slew of personal reasons, the primary one being, it was like slowly falling apart from working night shifts and morning shifts. And my body was on a freak out. Yeah. Um, this is like sort of a story in and of itself, but, um, you know, I was not feeling great. I was never seeing my husband. I had no friends because people go out to happy hour at 5 p.m. And where was I at happy hour? Right. I on the news desk talking about- Doing the news. Yeah, how many pilots <laughs> were that day? So um, there were a lot. And I also we also unexpectedly got pregnant with our third baby. So there were a host of personal reasons that went into that decision. But um, it was not made lightly. But it, you know, I needed to, I needed to, step away. I mean, there's a whole separate conversation, I think, around this, but I think a lot of women think falsely that we can do it all or that we should do it all. And it becomes overwhelming. I think what happened is we came from a generation of women who were the first, at least I, I get, I'm going to be 39 this month. So can kind of give you an idea of my age, but um, you know, my mom was a full-time working mom because her mom was a full-time stay-at-home mom. And my mom found a lot of freedom and possibility in working full-time. My mom's work ethic inspired what I did, which was to just grind my gears for years. Cause I was like, my mom did it and she raised kids. She did, but the workforce then is different from the workforce. Now it, it amps up every year. The expectations are higher. The hours are longer. The access to employees is greater. I mean, my mom wasn't getting emails, you know, at night. Work <laughs> right. and put our kids to bed. So um, it's a whole separate reason. But I think, you know, I was just kind of in that men mind space where I was like, I love my job so much. I don't want to give it up. But it just it became un untenable. I just I couldn't physically do everything. And I said, well, I've got to make a decision here. And I need to put my health first. I need to put my family first right now. And What's cool about this digital world, as you know, is that I do feel like I can still connect with people and share my gifts and share my access to people that I know with great interviews and great stories. So I didn't really feel like it was a compromise. Like I don't, I still don't feel like I gave up that much. I gave up a bad schedule and amazing people that I worked with, but I still can tell stories. I still can interview people. In fact, I can do it on topics that I want to do and at a length that I want to. When we would interview people on the evening news, because our, our, shows were very interview focused. They were kind of like what you see on the nighttime shows. They wouldn't just give us copy to read. I mean, we did, we had some scripted parts, but our news director was really big at the time on two to three minute long interviews, you know, research your guest, find out what's interesting. And so like, we were like cranking out some good stuff, you know, like doing live interviews on TV. So I really learned that art well. And I said, well, you know, I know how to do that already. I want to continue to connect with people. I want to continue to like give good information. And like, I love that kind of stuff. I'm like, I love sharing like good products or tips that I find. So 
now that I'm in this space, I can do it for longer periods of time. And there's not a producer in my ear saying rap, rap. So, you know, <laughs> it's, oh, I have a, a little one walking in. Okay. Go with daddy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's all good. It's really cool though. It's, it's been really fun the past four years to, to be able to do this. What have you enjoyed the most? Like what's given you the most joy? Just scheduling or just the content? Uh, the content. I mean, well, I guess both, but I definitely have really enjoyed, um, you know, pursuing the type of content that I love. And so, yeah, I mean, I started off doing, um, and I still do to a degree, but I shared a lot about motherhood and, uh, like not just the fluffy fun parts. I mean, a lot of my work when I first got out and blog posts that were republished or shared in other, um, publications were centered around, um, you know, the challenges of early motherhood or postpartum. I know a lot of people who went through postpartum depression. I personally had postpartum anxiety with our second. So, I mean, I've interviewed people, I've interviewed experts on, on PPD and anxiety. I've interviewed experts on breastfeeding and tips to get moms comfortable doing that. And, um, breast sleeping, you know, when the baby sleeps with you. And I talked about issues like co-sleeping and what's better to do is sleep training right for you. I mean, I have covered literally every topic there is to cover in motherhood as I was going through it. It was really cool because with a podcast and blog platform, I was able to like, when I was going through it, I was just like, okay, let me go through my Rolodex. I knew a lot of people from news or I had some contacts and I found really cool interviews. So I just put them out there for everyone. I'm like, well, I'm getting something out of this, so I might as well share it. So I kind of started in that sphere and I still to a degree do a lot of, you know, sort of reflective writing on motherhood. Cause I find it to be a fascinating, like crazy, crazy, crazy journey. Um, but I'm finally now kind of pivoting back into content that is a little more outward focused and relaunching my podcast actually mm-hmm. next week with, um, with the aim of, getting into like real talk on big topics and life and relationships and, um, oh my gosh, there's just so much. So it's what I guess I'm trying to say is I'm expanding beyond just the motherhood and and self-care sort of phase and now kind of going out bigger, which is exciting. That is exciting. I mean, it sounds like something I want to listen to, obviously. Um, I'm going to check it out. So where the podcasting, I want to get into that with your perspective on podcasting based off of your journalistic background, how you see that? Like as far as how it like sort of fits in? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as, I mean, there's a lot of us like me, I mean, I'm in the fitness business. I started a podcast about a bunch of wild stuff and I have no journalistic background. I just think, Oh, I like having conversations. How do you see it based off of your training and your work in journalism and how podcasting is important to you or effective? I mean, podcast is absolutely effective. I love hearing like from experts in every field, like what you said with your specialty or your area of focus. Like that's really cool that I can just pop in my earbuds and listen to an actual expert on fitness. Tell me what to do. And it's free content and it's easily accessible. So I love that for it. Um, the salty journalist in me kind of is like, Oh my God, everyone's a journalist these days. You know, I had to pay pay my dues, even though whatever. And that sounds like an old, I sound like an old grumpy man. I do think though, (laughs) but it's like, it's like the same thing we said with regular TV. I mean, like, you know, when you put in a podcast, like I know whether I'm listening to the New York times, well-researched the daily, or I'm listening to, you know, some girls talk about Bravo TV. Like you got to consider the source. (laughs) 
you know, it is uh, overall, I love, I mean, I love podcasts. I would not host and have my own show if I did not love the art of conversation. And I really do. So I think why not? Everybody's got to do it. You know, everybody's got to find their way to share their gift with the world. And I think there are a lot of people like me, like you too. Like if I have something great that I know, I want to share it. That's my impulse. And so I love that podcasting gives people that platform. I think what's really interesting about it is I've looked at it from a a stance of, um, we just need to have more conversations with people. Mm -hmm. I don't think we talk to each other enough. And I think we've become so inundated with processed information, you know, a tweet or a post on some social media platform as like for a lot of people as their main version of communication with other humans. Mm -hmm. And I like the talking, like I'm talking to you. We're having a real time conversation about a variety of things. And unfortunately, a lot of younger people, they struggle with that. They not, they haven't learned how to talk to people. That's so weird. They just learn how to talk to each other through texting through social media or some weird, you know, online platform. So I like got to keep talking alive. <laughs> I agree. And you know what? I would say that conversations with like regular normal people are more important now than ever because we're at a time, yes. you know, where we're suffering as a country as a result of a lack of conversations we have, whether it's in regards to discussions on racism or in regards to discussions on the choices people make about their health and the mask versus no mask. I mean, like we need to understand each other. And I think the impulse right now is to judge people who are different from us. And this year has presented us yeah. with a lot of ways to find how people are different than, than we are. And I don't think that's healthy. I think the growth happens when we find ways that we're similar and we use that as a point to educate on the differences. I think differences are important and we can't ignore that we're different, but we also can't be scared to talk about things because we're different. Like it's okay for me. I just did, you know, I don't know if you dove into the whole black lives matter, um, era and the, the debate on racism. I had a, a show on a few weeks back about that. And I don't know why it's weird to say, it shouldn't be weird for me to say I'm a white person. I don't understand what it's like to be black in America. And I need to understand so that I can be better so that I can un make some things that society has made for me, you know, like, so people should absolutely be comfortable. I think people get nervous because it's like, Oh, well, I don't ever want to talk about the fact that we don't agree on politics because then I won't be able to talk to this person anymore. Me, I'm drawn to people who are different. Cause I'm like, please let's talk about, I want to know that the, actually the name of my show, my new show is we got to talk. Like I have to find out. Love I it. love to, yeah. I love to find out about people who are different than me. How boring would it be if I only talked to white women in their thirties? Like, no thanks. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, not that every, we're all the same, but you know what I mean? People have different experiences. Yeah. And I think I've always, I've always personally been drawn to people who challenge my viewpoint in life. I do not like having people, sur I don't like yes men surrounding me. I don't like people who validate my existence. I like people who challenge me to think differently. And so like you said, like podcasting really gives us that ability to connect in that way. It's long format. It's people spilling their guts, it's mm -hmm. people having great conversations. So I just love that. I really, really love that. Yeah. I've, I've definitely had these conversations about black lives matter, black lives matter and uh, racial inequities, uh, coronavirus, whatever. And I think that they're just important to say, Hey, here's what I think about this. Here's what you think about this. And we just talk through mm -hmm. it Absolutely. and I give you my perspective and you hear it. And I just think that's important. Well, we're, we're just so we're in echo chambers constantly. We're in these silos mm -hmm. 
And people were like, yeah, you agree with me? Good. You don't agree with me? I don't like you. And it's like, what? I mean, like, come on, man. Like, we should be able to, we're going to disagree. No human agrees on everything that every person's into. So it's just not the reality. I agree. I agree. And, and we don't get anywhere when we look to fight with people. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's a, a place for debate and, and for like constructive discussions, yeah. but you're right. I mean, it would be way too easy to just surround yourself with people who agree with you. And it would also be way too boring. So, I mean, we didn't get to be America because we liked what England was doing. You know what I mean? You got you to yeah, challenge exactly. the status quo a little bit. So, you know, we can't be scared of these conversations. And and uh, what what has really been interesting to me, especially from the political side of things, is seeing what parties are more open to hearing about the other. I think there are, I, I, I think there are real challenges in that arena specifically, because it feels like we're getting farther and farther. Yeah. Challenges. I mean, I don't think you can be a true liberal or progressive and not be able to sit and hear a Republican talk. I, I don't, th- I think that's BS, nor do I think you can be a, a, a conservative and say fake news every time a liberal or a progressive opens their mouth. You know what I mean? It's like, it's bizarre to me that this but that's what it is now. Like, it's like you have to be so far into this one side or other side. Like, you, it's like you can't even, like, acknowledge that another person has an idea that might be good. That is not part of your identity, yeah. like, or your party. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, I mean, I think the whole topic of cancel culture, I'm interested, actually, in getting your thoughts on cancel culture. Oh, yeah. I've had a show I mean, on this, for sure. I'll tell uh, you anything. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> like, I... I I do think there's a place for calling people out. I don't know. Do you think we've like crossed the line? Is it too much? Or are we just finally in an era where we're holding people accountable? I think we've crossed the line. I do. Because I think that um, when one sense, it doesn't allow people to grow. Like you're canceling somebody right away um, for something that really was like, okay, this person could grow from this. They could legitimately, they need to learn. We need to talk to people, help them understand but to just be like, you know, we're going to create this mob and get rid of this mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. And I think, would you want to be treated that way? Like you made a mistake in life. And let's say it was, you know, there are certain things like you keep messing up like 10, 20, that you just keep messing up. You can't get right. Maybe you shouldn't be doing the thing you're doing. But, you know, somebody messes up. I guess there's different levels of it. But it's like, you know, you're canceled immediately. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's a lot. There's, it's no room for growth. There's no room for growth in cancel culture. And I think a lot of people are growing up in this society. It's like, I don't like that restaurant. Cancel it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> like, And then they get like 30 people to give it like 30 bad reviews. But maybe they're just having a bad day that day. I mean, come on. Don't you ever have a bad day? I mean, exactly. Know. It's about extending grace. I mean, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like there, there are patterns that are problematic and that's when you have to maybe just cancel someone that's right. or remove them from your life, you know, but yes. I, you know, how do we get better if we don't screw up a little bit, you know? So, I mean, progress is always, I, I feel like two steps forward and one step back, but I mean, I don't know. I, I just, that, that whole topic really fascinates me. So it bothers me that topic, because I just think it's just, it's, I think we have good ideas a lot of times, but then we always make these ideas extreme mm-hmm. with things. I think we've become a very extremist and how we view things. I mean, I even take it from a very uh, a different topic. Look at it this way. Think about the topic of steroids. 
was originally meant for emaciated prisoners of war or people who have been in internment camps to help them to, you know, put on more musculature after being emaciated for all this time. What happened? People take it to try to get swole and huge and athletics and stuff and totally taking it for what it wasn't really intended for. Mm -hmm. Canceling people is not bad if it's for a, a string of really poor behavior performance over an extended of time. It's very egregious. These are horrible things. I think as people, we know what that is. But to just do it like somebody made one mistake, be like, you're done forever. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I find that completely. And you would not want to be judged like that. You would never want that to happen. Absolutely. To and people who are so quick to take a one snippet of someone's life and make it representative of their entire being, I think it's just horrible. I really do. And now you don't know. Now we talk about accuracy. Was what happened real or not? I mean, I don't know. So then you make an assumption on something about you read that may or may not be accurate right, right. about somebody. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. It's getting it's getting murkier and then this then you're starting to get into weird stuff that I'm really worried about. It's like deep fakes. Oh my and god. All that deep, stuff. I just discovered deep fakes, like the videos where people can look like make it look real, like they're really doing <gasps> Darian, I'm terrified. I, in fact, oh, I have a friend who still works in news and I th- I can't remember if I found the article or she did, but one day I think, I think she found, she texted it to me and we always joke because I feel like news has just broken me mentally. I worry about everything. Everything can <laughs> kill me. I'm like, oh my God, my doorknob is going to kill me today. Cause like, you know, the whole, the, the joke in TV news is like today at five 30, how your soap dispenser can kill you. Like, you know, we always made that joke because everything <laughs> comes across like to get people to watch. But so we joke about our anxiety, but she texted me this article about deep fakes. And I was like, oh, I am legitimately going to lose my mind. How am I ever going to know what's real again? She's like, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that to you. I'm so sorry. But it's true. It's so again, bad. going back to, you know, always questioning the source, always being a smart consumer of information. Just that's all we can do. That's all we can do right now. But what happens when the information presented to you, let's say visually, is indistinguishable from reality? How do you create an idea of what's real and what's not? No idea. When it's indistinguishable. That's what I'm, we're headed towards that, Sonny. I'm telling you. It's happening. I know. I think about, you know, and we're also willingly putting our faces and our images out there to be co-opted. I mean, all it takes, right, is one picture. <laughs> you know, we're like, hey, listen to my podcast. Here's my picture. And then, bam, a person like, I can do awful things. So yeah, I know. I I don't know what the answer to that is. That would actually be a fascinating topic to dive into separately, like the world of deep fakes, because that it terrifies me that 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 exists. So I'm- I saw a documentary of it. Well, it was a news piece by the New York Times on Hulu. They have this whole news thing that they do with these hard hitting pieces. And I was like, oh, this is, I was was like, what is deep fakes? I don't know. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh no. And they could take your voice, us talking right now and manipulate it to make it sound just like me saying offensive things to people. I can't help. I'm like, well, how does this, how do we become, how do we move on from this? Like, God. I can't be in this society. <laughs> that's what's going on. No, I was. This is the time where we dip out of podcasting. I feel like we're like, it's like well, I'm done now, man. I can't, I, you know, but it's out there, you know. It's scary. It's totally scary. There's no doubt. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like from someone from your perspective, I always am curious about people who are in news, like how they feel 
news has progressed and how, and like, what's in your mind, what's the future of news? What's the future? Oh, God. I think there will be more person-to-person reporting. I think we will see journalists leaving the field, the traditional field of broadcast and launching their own apps, websites, um, whatever, and sort of become a micro source. I'm, I'm, Ah. you know, I, that's already happening. I know I'm doing it. I know another, a friend of mine, um, Jenna Lee from Fox news started this, this company called smarter news. Uh, She still has access to the same experts that she talked to when she worked for, you know, a, a real news station and puts out just as accurate and compelling as information, which doing it on our own. Katie Couric has her own um, daily newsletter where she just interviewed Dr. Fauci. I mean, I think we will see more and more people continue to carve out their own paths as journalists in this digital space, retaining their integrity, retaining their ability to source good information. I I truly believe in that. Um, I don't know what's, I think it'll always be around. TV will always be there. Newspapers will always be there. But who knows on what scale? But I do think there's definitely a move and a trend toward that because we can do it ourselves now. Like I, I can call up the same doctor that I interviewed on the TV station five years ago and be like, hey, can you come on my podcast? And I'm going to get the same information and it's going to be, hey, it's not going to be as pretty. It's not going to be as dressed up. And it certainly won't have the weight of a broadcast network behind it. But it, technically, it's the same information. So I think we're going to see much more of that. I. Actually, that's interesting you said that because I heard that from someone else in the sense of social media that we're headed towards an age of personalized social media where people create their own their own worlds. Like I actually am doing this myself where like my podcast is becoming my own social media network mm-hmm. where these are just the people I want to talk to. I don't want to have these other options. Like I don't want to sign up for somebody else's platform. Like, right. I want to be people to bring them to my platform and I want to congregate with these folks in, in all different walks of life. Right. And like I like I'm, I before the pandemic I had uh, I had this podcast retreat that I had that I was planning which was going to be all of the guests of my show meeting in a location in the United States and having like meeting each other and doing on-site things and creating this community within that's why my podcast is called Dr. D's Social Network yep. is my network. I love it. I wanted to create my thing and I'm going to be doing that podcast retreat eventually. And I see more of that. And there's now apps where you can just create like your own app. That is your network for yeah, that. I see that paralleled with It's that. really cool. I mean, you know, hopefully everybody doing that is responsible with the information they're putting out. And, you know, yeah. we, we all have to get smarter about what we take in, but I think it's wonderful that you can do that. Like, because there too. are things that no one can, you know, give to the world except you. So why not? Why not share that interview or that tip or that story? I think that's awesome. I think so too. Uh, I got to tell you, this was very enlightening uh, to hear about your experience in the news. What you're doing now is anything you want to tell uh, the audience that you're, you know, what you're up to. Any links or you know, exciting news. Yeah. So I'm actually launching my new platform, a global conversation platform. I'm calling it. It's called, we got to talk. We'll take, it's 
same name as my podcast. We're launching the second week in September. So uh, the site is live September 14th. We got a talk.com and the podcast will be, I'm um, sorry, the live digital show. Cause I'm like doing like a video thing is Wednesday mornings Eastern. So September 16th is my debut show. So go to we got a talk.com and then the pot, the podcast will be the audio, you know, ripped from the TV show. And um, we're tackling big topics. We're launching with the topic of why it's so important to have mom friends. The next week we're talking infidelity, do you stay or do you go? Ooh. We're talking um, poly relationships. We're talking proactive health. I got this interview with this amazing yeah. doctor about how to stay healthy, not just preventive, but proactive. It's her like first interview ever in the world. She's like a world-renowned nice. oncologist. So those are the first four topics we have lined up. And I'm just so excited because we're doing what we did just here with you, which is diving deep and like just getting into the nitty gritty. And I'm so excited. So yeah, we got a talk.com and we got a talk with Sunny is the name of the podcast. Love it. Well, we had to talk on this <laughs> we podcast. Did. I love it. And, that, <laughs> and I'm very grateful for your time, uh, Sunny. And uh, I look forward to a continued connection with you over time. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much for having me on, Darian. And I'd love to have you on my show as well when I get up and running. Oh, so awesome. I will definitely be emailing you again. <laughs> Anybody hear that? I'm going to be on another podcast. I love it. <laughs> more de- we're going to dig into more details on life. We're going to solve life's business. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks again, and I'll be in touch. Thanks, Darian. Have a good one. All right. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching, and finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So, get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash projectpower. You can avoid the risks of type 2. Project Power will help. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle, and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback.